So we're, uh, we started talking about self-control. We're going to get into uh, the actual developing of self-control now. Uh, if you've done questions 5A good, um, we're going to just be about probably five, six, seven lessons in self-control. So you can do 5B here in a, in a week or so. So um, what we're going to be doing here with the development of self-control is we're going to look at some processes um, that talk about learning it and developing it. And within those, we're going to see some attributes that we need and some, uh, some ways that this works. Um, and then we will spend time at, after that looking at those attributes. So we'll, we'll uh, kind of look at them today and, and Wednesday, and then we'll, we'll look at those kind of attributes that help us develop self-control. And then we also have some that actually hinder us from having self-control. So we'll look at uh, all of those topics as we complete this section of self-control. All right, so let's start here. So the first thing we're going to look at is kind of a progressive or a progression of events that work us towards self-control. So when we look at this, this is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, I'll just read the section here that's most pertinent. Uh, Verse 3 says, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted uh, to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, so in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. These qualities are yours and are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing for you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So as we look at kind of the language here, he says, to your faith add moral excellence, to your moral excellence add knowledge, to your knowledge add. What does that give us a feel of? Is this just a some random set of things? Yeah, stepping stones? Yeah, stepping stones. There's a progression, right? So these things build on each other. So we've talked about processes and things before. As we go down through this, do you suspect this is the kind of process where we can just spend some time working on faith? And then and then once we get that down, we'll go work on moral excellence. And when we get that down, we'll go work on knowledge. Or is this the kind of thing where we're going to kind of take it? and go down through it, and then we're going to loop back and we're going to do it again, and we're going to loop back and we're going to do it some more. It's more of that second, right? This spiral, we're going, to, we're going to get better and better as we do it more and more. So this is a progressive way of developing all of these things, including self-control. Now, when you look kind of, if you look at this as a progression, saying that one thing builds on another, you would say that these things come before self-control and these things come after self-control. And they, they do and they don't, right? And the spiral nature of that kind of helps you see that not necessarily always. You, when you come back around and do it again, you've actually 
if you kind of look at you started here, then you're coming back around and ending here, well, it's kind of hard to tell where it starts and where it ends once you get going. I think that's why it says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Yes. Uh, if, if Well, I've got those. I don't need to do anything else. Right. But they have to increase. They have to be increasing. Continually. Uh, and so um, when we look at this, we're building. So faith, moral excellence, and knowledge come before self-control at the very beginning. And that would make some sense. It's and we're going to look at each one of these items and kind of look at how this, this might build together. So if you take this kind of as a recipe for growth, um, then we should look at this um, as, a, as a spiral method of, of developing as we go over and over and over. So it starts with faith. So in this case, faith is not, it's not the um, assurance that we're talking about, but it's a belief or a trust and a confidence about God and in God. How do we achieve that? Well, we study, we look at evidences, we look at testimony, we observe, um, we, have, we look inwardly and we look at other methods. So this is just a beginning point though. But if we don't have faith, does it make any sense to move on? No. no. And, and with each one of these, that tends to be a bit true. Now, we, do, we are gonna spiral around, so faith is probably the one item that's like, really critical that you start with. You may not have all the moral excellence you need, but you'll continue to work on that and continue to grow that. And you'll continue to grow your faith, but you need a certain amount of faith uh, when you start or you're just not going to get very far. Moral excellence. Anybody want to take a stab at what that might mean? We don't really use that term. What are morals? Demonstrating good character. It's about, yes. You know. This is about an excellent <coughs> moral-based character. Mm -hmm. And so if we have that sort of moral, excellent moral character, that kind of sets the direction for us, doesn't it? So if we have faith and a moral excellence, now we're, we're starting to get oriented in the direction we need to go. Um, we don't yet know exactly where, but we have an orientation um, because we want to have an excellent moral character. And so this is a person who wants to do right, and they need to just find out what right is. So they want to achieve the highest moral standard. So we might call it, Ken used to call this your want to power. This is what you want to do. You want to have some moral excellence. You want to be motivated in that way. Well, in order for moral excellence to really find the right path, you need knowledge. And that knowledge will then put that that uh, motivation for moral excellence and your faith uh, onto the right pathway. And then we'll be able to establish true morality. We'll be able to know the rules and we'll be able to follow them. And so we'll build, when we start building in this way, then we will um, we'll be building towards a relationship with God. So then when we take those and add to it self-control, now we're able to take those things that we want to do and we're able to do them more effectively. We're able to actually um, make a decision to do something in a certain way and we're actually able to follow through with it. Um, this helps us to do what we want to do and to stop doing what we don't want to do. So do you think this is a pretty critical step? If you don't have this, all of this is of no value, right? And in fact, we can say that at every step. It is a very important step though. So. Um, Many of these other things we recognize as being important. We don't always focus too much on that, but it's very important.
So um, you need to have a lot of skills to have self-control. Not really. It's kind of one of those things that is intuitive. And and we've talked about that, but it's it's not something you can just go to a book and read about and just have it, right? It's something. It's one of those uh, things that we develop. Okay, so then once we have some level of self-control, now we need to be able to take that self-control and do it reliably over and over and over. That's going to take some perseverance. Do you see any overlap there between perseverance and self-control? Mm -hmm. I do. I think their perseverance is, to me is like a form of self-control. Now that we have this ability to, to know what to do, to control ourselves to do it, to do it over and over and not, not fail to the left or the right. Now we have, now we're beginning to work on godliness. Now when we work on godliness and brotherly kindness, what's missing from there? What aren't we working on? Ourselves. Ourselves. And so what are we doing with that? We're removing self. How important do you think removing self is to having self-control? It's like critical. critical, isn't it? <laughs> totally. It's, it's one of the most important things, and we're going to spend some time talking about that. One of the most important things that we can do is remove self. And those are three uh, characters that people will see in us. They'll see our godliness, they'll see our brotherly kindness, they'll see our love. And if they see so your selfishness, what will they see? They won't see a Christian, will they? When they no. see these, oh, they'll see yeah. a Christian. Oh, yeah. And, and all of those are pretty visible, right? It's pretty easy to spot a selfish person. Um, so these things will orient us uh, in the way of removing self, which helps us with our self-control a lot. All of this will result in love, which is really the motivation for all of this. So we may start all this process because we're afraid. We might be afraid of being lost. Eventually, we got to get to the point where we do it because we love, not because we're afraid. Yes. So what I see in school is the opposite. Because you know, I have students that tell me they've never gone to a church before. Uh -huh. And like when I we had the word pew, I thought, ah, an opportunity to talk about church. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, explain what, what a pew was. But you know, they're not being taught anything about faith. Mm -hmm. And so then we have bullying, right? Sure. So I've got to teach all these lessons on the anti-bullying. I'm thinking to myself, basically I'm just teaching Christianity in a different way. Because uh -huh. you know? bullying is about this, right? Yeah. You don't have kindness for your brother, you're bullying him. And you don't have self-control. You know? No self-control. So right. if they would just, you know, if the parent would teach them to obey God in the first place, they wouldn't have these problems. Yeah. And you could see where society just... this. If we weren't doing this from a religious perspective, but just from a societal perspective, it would still be very important. Very important. Um, so godliness orients us towards God. It focuses us on, focuses us on God, puts our attention on Him, and uh, lets us see what He wants for us. And then we can take a hold of that, and then we can live in a consistent way. Now, God does give us things here, like He gives us His law and His word, and, and we're to follow that. With brothers, they don't give us anything. In fact, what happens in this area? Is this about getting something from your brother? About giving something to your brother. So, we need a good relationship with our brothers. We need a relationship of kindness. And uh, 
we want the best for them. Sometimes to give them the best, what do we have to do? Sacrifice. Sacrifice ourselves, right? Where will all of this come in handy? Pretty much in every relationship you're ever going to have, right? People want to feel like they're, they mean something to you. And so the climax of that being love, um, and now we're, we're actually getting to the point where we talked about habitual, but this is more, um, you're, you're putting it in because it's something that's important to you rather than something that you're afraid of, Scott. Something else too, you think when you look at the, if, if you do look at it kind of as a progression, like if you think about self-control, um, something in that is, is a little, there's an element of, or a big part of it is denying self. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you think about taking that to the next level is now you're not only just denying yourself, but you're actually giving, it's just not about what, it's not self-contained, now it's taking it and, and you're sacrificing on behalf of others. You get yeah. out of that brotherly kindness and love. Yes. And I think that's, every time you've ever done that, how do you feel when you're done? Good. That's one of the, probably the most satisfying things that you'll do. And so, this is, you're kind of really coming to a higher level of even living. Life is much more important and more redeeming than it ever was before. So, from a societal viewpoint, this is very important. From a Christian viewpoint, this is very, very important. So um, you can see the role that self-control plays in this and how, um, how woven it is through this whole process because without it, none of the rest of this works. It just doesn't work um, at all. So we're going to need some diligence because he starts out saying we're going to diligently do this. We have to have a desire to partake in the divine nature. And this is the divine nature. And so that's a motivation for us in this, in this verse. It says uh, that we have... Uh, that um, we want to partake in the magnificent promises so, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's the motivation. That's why we're doing this. We want to be like Christ. And we want to escape the corruption that's in the world by lust. We need to know the importance of all of this. So there's another place where um, self-control is shown in a large list like this. You might think about where that shows up. We, we looked at it a little bit maybe a couple classes ago. It's in the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in the, in the fruits of the Spirit, and we talked about fruits of the Spirit, what is, if you say fruit of the Spirit, we don't use those words again either, so what is a fruit of the Spirit? It's a product. It's a product, a positive product that we're, like fruit from a tree is something that we want. It's the positive outcome from being in the Spirit. And we're in the Spirit when we study God's Word, when we're following God's Word. So these are the benefits or the blessings, the beneficial outcomes of putting God's work into our life. So the benefits of putting the Word to work in our life uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So these, do you suspect these are in any order? Kind of hard to tell, isn't it? I mean, they just yeah. kind of rattle off. There's not a build this upon this upon this. So if there is, it's not totally obvious. But it is interesting that self-control is at the end. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of this needs to weave into all these, well, it's not something you can develop at the end, but it is something that kind of weaves its way through everything. 
and you could probably say that about much love, then the rest of this is pretty much impossible. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And this kind of is the inverse of the mm -hmm. other one, right? right? The other one resulted in love, and here we're mm -hmm. starting with love. Love is a an outcome. Well, that's kind of what we said last time, right? If we follow all those things, build all those things, the outcome of all of it was love. Well, he starts with that here. So um, there is some level of importance shown here. So um, the fruits of the Spirit, these are things that we will gain. And these are all things that we generally would look at as positive aspects of life. There's nothing there that we would say, well, I sure don't want that. These are all things we would like to have, whether we were a Christian or not. So you could look at these in groups of three. There's three here, three here. Uh, I must have missed one. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll work. I'll love, joy, and peace. Miss joy. Joy. Miss joy. Can't miss joy. <laughs> <coughs> so love, joy, and peace are the first three. And those are um, those are states of mind. Those are those are ways that we uh, we are states of mind. Peace, patience, and kindness. We need those when we're dealing with each other. And then goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness are things that guide our interactions, or uh, are things that guide our Christian conduct. So um, these are also shows the importance of it. Um, doesn't necessarily show so much the progression, uh, which kind of says that these are all kind of working together. So if we need, if we want self-control, we're going to have to work on all these other things as well. The other one was a little more pointed about. You know, Dale, um, all of those, of course, we have to practice. But I'm, I'm sort of helping a friend at Kibble now, and she has problems with the kindness toward herself. She can see the mistakes she's made uh -huh. and, and the faults she still has. And we have to be kind to ourselves. We do. And sometimes we're... We're not kind to ourselves. And now, when we're when we have no reason to feel like we've been forgiven, we probably, yeah. uh -huh. we probably shouldn't. Uh -huh. But when we know we've been forgiven, yeah. especially by God, and when she can see a different way around it, maybe instead of being confrontational, right. it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Well, just yeah. like the lesson we just had about David, you know, mm -hmm. it plays right in there. God forgave him. So this last phrase here, against such there is no law, basically saying there's nothing wrong with any of these things. There's nothing that you should avoid. There's nothing in, the, in God's Word that says to avoid any of these things. These are all good things to be involved in. Alright, so if we look at self-control from the standpoint of mastering our own desires and passions, um, probably there's there's... We all have all of our passions. Some of us have are, are focused in one way, some are others. Um, Paul talks about one of those here in, second, in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 10. And this is, this the background behind this is that, that uh, times are tough. People are being persecuted by um, torturing their families. And Paul's basically saying, if you don't have a wife, don't go get one because it'll just make it easier for them to torture you. Um, but if you do, um, then don't don't go away from them either. Um, so have your own wife, have your own husband, um, but fulf fulfill your duty to them. And uh, so when you look in verse uh, three and four, 
The husband fulfills his duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In, in terms of self-control and our topic, what might that tell us? Interesting that this is not really saying you look at you. You're putting you, someone else ahead of yourself yes. and their desires and wishes, uh, and and that's self-control. And you know, and, and I want this, but if you want this, okay, we're going this way. Even in our self-control, we might become selfish, right? Yeah. And what he's saying here is, don't just look at yourself. Look at others. In fact, in this case, it was more important to look at others. So this becomes selflessness, which is another attribute we need to have, is selflessness. And we're going to talk about that later as well. Um, so we think about others' needs before we think about our own needs. We, um, in in uh, verse 5, he says, uh, stop depriving one another except by agreement, so you can devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What's he telling them to do here? to help them with their self-control issue. First of all, he says to pray. Mm -hmm. What else does he tell them to do? Mm -hmm. Stop depriving one another. So if you know that your spouse, or in another area, this, this being the, the sexual relationship, but if you know in that scenario that, that your spouse has a, a need there and that they may have a self-control problem there, mm -hmm. Don't put them in a bad situation. Don't put them in a situation where they're going to have to exercise self-control where you might know that that's not a strong suit of theirs. Now, yeah, now you true. want them to get that to be a strong suit, but don't put them in a, don't put them in a compromising position. I think that's kind of interesting, too, that it seems like that Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's just a given. And, and does he tempt you on the things that you're not too temptable on? Yeah. He knows the worst one, doesn't he? And he's coming at you with that one. Yeah. Well, if that's over it. Over and over and over. Yeah. And if that's it, don't give Satan that opportunity. Not from your own perspective, but don't give it to him on behalf of your spouse. Mm -hmm. And so this tells us we got to exercise some self-control, not just in our own situation, but in others. We can do that, in, let's say, in terms of a diet. You know someone's on a diet, and so you just sit in front of them eating cookies and cake, and they're like, what are they going to do? <laughs> well, if they have a lot of self-control, they'll be okay, but if they don't, well, you might wreck their diet. And you're in Satan's place Help because you're tempting. Yeah. And so maybe that's not necessarily a sin, but it's certainly not being a very brotherly kindness kind of person, is it? So um, those are just things of... Uh, be aware of others' issues, others' self-control um, situations, and, and think about those. Um, so in this situation, Paul's saying, be like I am, which is basically saying if you have a problem, if, if, if you're going to be uh, hurt by your family being tortured, then you might, you might think about staying single. But if you're not able to do that, um, and you, and if, if you have a self-control issue, then go ahead and get married. And so that's now in relationship to yourself. And he's saying there, um, let them marry. Go ahead and put yourself in a better situation. Don't let your self-control issue in that area 
get the best of you, put yourself in a different situation. So if you're someone where though you're, you're lusts in that area are very strong, your feelings are very strong, don't, don't sit there and just try to gut it out and try to just uh, make it work. Put yourself in a better situation. So in a, in a different area, uh, let's say you're on a diet, what would you do to, to accomplish the same kind of thing there? Stay out of bakeries, maybe? That'd be a good thing. Go, yeah, find yourself, find environments where you can be there and they aren't going to tempt you to, to fall off. And that's, that's a simple example, but, but we have a lot of those. If you, we each kind of know what our worst temptations are. Just don't put yourself in those situations. Whatever they are, those are the ones you avoid the highest. Those are the ones you stay away from the hardest. Um, so avoidance is a mechanism you can use to have self-control. And what it does is it doesn't develop the self-control per se, but it gives you time to develop that self-control. What happens when you fall off the wagon on those kinds of things? Well, it kind of wrecks you for a while. You feel like you failed and it's hard to get back on the horse again and, and go again. And that's why diets are so t tough. People fall off once and person they just go, well, I can't do this and they just give up. But we gotta get back on the horse and keep going. Um, so be considerate of others. Don't face it head on, avoid it if you can. Stay away from it. We also see uh, some talk of self-control here with Paul. Um, he's talking about running in a race. If you're gonna run in a race, what do you do? Train. What else do you do? What's part of that training, maybe? So let's say you're a runner. What do you do as part of that training? Well, you run. And is that all? You eat right. You eat right? Get your sleep? You lift weights? Uh, is it just your legs you work on? No, you work on your whole body. What about yoga? What does that do? That's supposed to be a mind and body kind of thing, right? So get your mind right. It all works together. So here he's saying if you're going to train, train in a way that you'll win. Don't just train to kind of so you don't you don't completely flop, but train to win. So if you're going to do that, you have to exercise self-control. So how would we learn self-control from from this? Well, maybe we use our physical examples or even our physical exercising of self-control to um, teach us self-control in other areas. You think self-control is one of those things where just go find the hardest and the worst thing that you have a problem with and go attack that first? Mm -hmm. It'd be better to go take some things that you don't do so well but you're pretty sure you can overcome and tackle those first and learn. Learn how to control yourself. Learn how to be uh, Learn how to, to say no to yourself. Learn how to control those things and then start tackling the bigger ones once you get that under your belt. But don't, don't just go jump into the hardest thing first. So we gotta discipline ourselves. We gotta make our body our slave. There are situations where we can do that. Uh, some people have problems spending too much. Well, find a way to control that. Maybe you, maybe you just take so much cash a week and when it's gone, it's gone. And you don't take more out. Well, that's a way of disciplining yourself. 
because after a few weeks of not having any food at the end of the week for lunch, well, you might get hungry enough to stop doing that. But you can train yourself uh, by doing some of these smaller things. Okay, so... Um, So this is kind of the main part here. Self-control is not really self-control. No, that's, that's an oxymoron, right? <laughs> what do I mean by that? That's an oxymoron. So when I say, Paula, exercise some self-control, what, what do you think I'm telling you to do? Just drive on. Yeah, right? And, and I got to make this happen. Is that really what self-control is? Well, it kind of is. But as a Christian, what is self-control really? When you really, we're going to look at some scriptures, and I'll give you the punchline up front, and then we'll look at this. Would you say this? Following God's word. So really, self-control is to give up control, right? Give up control to God. So when we say have self-control, sometimes we might think, well, that means I got to really. Um, really gird up under this and make it happen. Well, no. What I really need to do is turn it over to God and let Him handle it. And that's where self-control gets to be perfected. That's where self-control works the best. So, um, I'm going to skip a few of these things um, and we'll move on. I want to go to James chapter 2. Or James chapter 3. And we're going to read out of this, and I don't have the scriptures on the board, so you might want to turn to James chapter 3. So in James chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone is, does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So the topic we're about to look at is, we're going to stumble, but if you can just control your tongue... Um, then you're going to be able to bridle your whole body. You'll be able to control everything. And we're going to look at kind of what that's, how that builds up to being an accurate statement. Because I'll say up front, if I, if I can just control my tongue, that doesn't necessarily convince me that I can control my spending. But you'll see that it, it really does, actually. Alright, so um, we would have perfect control if we can figure this out. We'll be, we'll be perfect able to control everything. So when we go to, to uh, James chapter 3, verses 3 through 12, um, he talks about putting the bits in the horse's mouth so they'll follow us or having a ship that sh steers with a small rudder. And the tongue is like that. It's a small part of the body, but it boasts great things. And we can set a, a, our, whole bot, or our whole life on fire by how, what we say and what we do. Um, man is capable of taming. So let's... I may have some of this. Um, so the first thing that we look at is the problem's really difficult, and it's not really acceptable to just leave it the way it is. The problem of having self-control, the problem of being able to control ourselves. So other vessels, like ships uh, and, and horses, they're controlled uh, with small instruments. We are controlled by the tongue. So the tongue as an instrument is really not the issue here. Because what's really what's really the problem with what's coming out of your mouth? It's what's in your heart. It's in your heart. So your heart, you could view your heart as a small instrument too. And so what would what do we really need to control? Not so much our tongue. We need to control our heart. 
we've talked about that quite a bit in here. What's the what's the one of the best things to do to control your heart? What you put into what you put yes, into. Yes, learn knowledge yes. and the training and the, the the whole idea of conscience and all of that. Um, so we want to train ourselves to to have better heart, a better intellect. And so if we can make that right, then we'll have an easier time with controlling ourselves because what we want to do will be all the right things. But when our heart's not right, then it sets our whole life on fire. So um, these people are, are Christians in James, and so they're trying to be Christians, and they're, they're trying to be uh, also at, kind of out of control at the same time. And so that he's saying you're double-minded. You seem capable of controlling almost everything, but you can't control yourself. That's pretty. That's pretty universal problem, though. It's not unique to any one of us. Um, it's hard to control ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> but James says it shouldn't be that way, which tells us that the problem can be solved. If it's not supposed to be that way, then we can solve the problem. We ought to be true to who we are and not try to be, of, uh, and not try to be of God and of the world at the same time. So James tells us a little bit more about how we're going to solve that. So now we're going to look at the next set of verses in James. And uh, I'll read this one because it's shorter. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and self-ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. So when we look at self-control in this context, um, as we're reading down through trying to control our tongue, all of a sudden he just switches the topic to wisdom and understanding. I don't believe he switched the topic. I believe the context flows all the way through this whole section. So what, what he's saying here is, if you have true wisdom and understanding, you'll be able to... to overcome this problem. And what you do is you show that wisdom and understanding by how you act with your good behavior and the gentleness of wisdom. So we'll be aligned to God's Word and then we'll show a single-mindedness by having God's Word in us and doing just that. But if we add to that attitude, bitter jealousy, self-ambition, now there's that self-word again. Self-ambition is another one of those attitudes that harms us when we want to have self-control. Um, if we have add those things into our hearts, now we've polluted our heart. Now we've added things in there that are not consistent with God's Word. So now we're showing double-mindedness. And if we're trying to do that while we're trying to be a Christian, we're like an adulterer. We have two relationships going on at the same time, and that doesn't work. And if, if you find your life is full of disorder and every evil thing, well, you might just be double-minded. You might be trying to serve two things at once and not have the purity of following uh, God and His Word. So, the solution, prefer the wisdom from God. It's a wisdom that's pure because it's not mixed with all this other stuff. So that wisdom will produce peace, gentleness, uh, reasonableness, full of, be full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering. Hypocrisy is nothing more than being double-minded. You have trying to be two things at once, uh, thus coming from the right motives. So, doing this will show the wisdom from above, and we won't be, uh, we'll be right on the road to gaining self-control. <clears throat> so he continues on, though, in the next set of verses, 
And the first thing he says in this one is, what are the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Aren't those pleasures and, um, and lusts, isn't that really what we're trying to control? So what he's saying is, you're having all these things, these uh, pleasures and uh, lusts that are coming in, and they're creating trouble in your life because you're not controlling them. You're trying to be double-minded and you're allowing your lusts to control you. So self-control is very, very heavily focused on your lusts, your wants, your desires. And instead of trying to do it the right way, you take all the wrong paths to get there. You fight, you quarrel, you murder. And when you do that to gain all the things you want, if you want things, what are you supposed to do? Ask God for them. But when you ask God for them, sometimes you ask in a way where you, you, you have bad motives. So all you want is you ask God because you want to satisfy your own lusts. Was God going to participate in that with you? No. And so you're going to be selfish and only concerned about yourself. Well, you're going to be back to having quarrels and fights and everything. And so you're trying to be worldly and godly at the same time, and that's a disaster. So part of self-control is to be pure. We've got to get those other things out of our life, and we've got to have a single-minded focus on God and His Word. And so he wants that to dwell in us. And he says, I'm a jealous God. I don't want you to bring all this other stuff in. Uh, you're being an adult adulteress when you bring this stuff in and try to put it in with my word. So you, you can't control yourself because you're too much a part of the world and you haven't developed your trust in God. So the interesting thing is God doesn't see you as double-minded. He just sees you as single-mindedly focused on the world. You think you're a Christian and part of the world. God sees you as you're just part of the world. You're not double-minded at all to Him. <clears throat> and He continues. And He says, if you want to be arrogant and proud, then God will oppose you. Well, is that going to help you with your self-control? No. And so, God will take care of the humble. So if you want to have self-control and turn your life over to God, and you expect Him to help you, what well, can't you be? Proud and arrogant. We're going to talk about those things. So you can't have those uh, in your life because now you're not pure anymore. You're polluted. So draw near to God instead and He'll draw near to you. Now you're starting to see the solution. You're starting to see how this works. Resist the devil when you submit to God and God will cause the devil to flee from you. Put away your sin. Put away your double-mindedness and be pure and clean and focused on God. I'm paraphrasing each of these if you have, haven't figured that out. But don't let your pleasures guide you. Instead, prefer the miserable and mournful and sad and allow yourself to be humble. Why is it preferable to be, to, to have these uh, miserable, mournful, and sad attitudes? Because you see you for what you really are. <coughs> when you see who you really are, are you really able to control much? No, you're not really doing a good job at, at, at all. And if you really want things to be well, you'll, you'll let God take control of your life. So this is the true formula for being exalted, is let God exalt you. If you try to exalt yourself, that's not true of exaltation. But if God does it, it'll be lasting. And so um, if we will draw near God, we'll have better self-control. And he keeps going. Um, if, so he starts to give us some examples. If you speak against your brother then you're showing you have the wrong attitude. We talked about brotherly kindness earlier. Um, 
If we do so anyway, then we're disobedient and we're double-minded again. If we do so anyway, we're proclaiming that the laws of God are, are not uh, good and that our laws are superior. God says he's the only lawmaker and the only judge and he's powerful enough to either save or destroy. And then he goes on to say, what makes you think you can control anything? You can't even go out in business. Remember it says, uh, I'll go out in my business and I'll, and I'll bargain for a year and I'll make money and we'll, we'll do well. And God says, I can take your life now. You don't know what, what makes you think you can control anything? You can't control anything that happens in your life. So self-control? No, because you can't. Since God can control everything, you should just admit it and let God control your, you and your will. Submit to Him. Uh, you thinking you have control over anything is pure ignorance and arrogance and it's evil. If you know what you should be doing instead and you're not doing it, then that's clearly sin. And you're being double-minded and that's sin. So that's the end of James chapter 4. <clears throat> and then he gives an example of the rich. They've been cheating people. They have the money to pay them for their wages, but they don't. And so... Um, Instead, the rust on their money is testifying against them that, that they're evil. You ordered everything for yourself, and you could have helped others. And so here you're not helping uh, your brother, and so all you're doing is fattening yourself up for the slaughter. And so the righteous have to put your trust in God, and, and they haven't resisted. The, the righteous haven't resisted these uh, rich people. They've allowed them to be taken advantage of. But God will take vengeance because that's what he tells us to do. You, you step back and I'll take the vengeance later. And then the last section is, um, is to be patient. These are some things that we should be. Be patient. Don't complain. Be willing to suffer. Have some endurance. Speak the truth. Uh, pray. Um, be cheerful. Uh, call for people to help you. Um, help others. And when others sin, bring them back. So those are all methods and mechanisms for having some self-control. But it really all boils down to turn your life over to God and let Him control you. And when you can do that, then self-control is going to be a whole lot easier. Because everything's coming from one single point of purity. And, and the, the motivation is all the same. So not fighting against what we want to do versus what we are doing. We just do what we want to. Your life is so much simpler and easier. Mm -hmm. You just, just give it all to God. Yep. And you, that's don't have that. you don't have all the quarrelings and the fightings and the, the wars and the, the pleasures taking you down. So it's kind of a single-minded focus of, mm -hmm. of getting your mind and your life uh, all consistent with what you should be doing. So we'll take this further. There's a few more things that we'll look at, and then we'll look at a lot of these attitudes and attributes. So, all right. Thank you.